0: Thanks for pressing play. On episode 127, we had on Al Ramadan, co-founder of Play Bigger Advisors and co-author with me of Play Bigger, the book. And uh, on that episode, we unpacked the upcoming, at the time, Rivian IPO. Well, it turns out that was one of our most popular episodes. So we thought it'd be cool to get together now that Rivian has gone public and unpack what happened through a category design lens, and specifically how Rivian was able to use their IPO as not just a a financing event, but a category defining event, how they specifically wrote their S1 and why that matters for every kind of company, regardless of how early stage you are, the power of a blueprint, the power of an ecosystem, the power of including those things in an S1, and we also look at all of the sort of lessons that marketers and in specific entrepreneurial category designers can take from the way that Rivian performed their IPO. We also do some speculation on where the broader uh, electronic vehicle or what Rivian calls mobility category could head over time. So we do some fun uh, spitballing about that uh, at the end. Now, um, I'll tell you just a little bit about Al. Al and I have known each other for over 20 years. He's been a tech entrepreneur, CEO, and investor and advisor for well over 30 years. And today, he is best known for being one of the co-founders of Play Bigger and one of the godfathers of category design. My friends at Otranet have been building legendary B two B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. And if you're thinking about relaunching your website soon, they have a program called. Rapid Relaunch. Check out A-T-R-E dot N-E-T. That's atre.net today. And Category Pirates is sort of like um, the Harvard Business Review if it was written for and by pirates. So go to categorypirates.com and uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter there. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. Christopher Lockhead, hello. How do you get more handsome? How does that happen?
1: (laughs) Shave my head, just like you.
0: (laughs) Well you actually have good hair. I mean, pretty good hair for a man your age.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As the Julie Morcaldi once famously said to us, which was pretty funny. (laughs) How was Thanksgiving, brother?
0: Great, great. We got to see pretty much everybody and um get connected and everybody's been vaxxed and vaxxed and revaxed and <laughs> overvaxed, And so <laughs> we felt relatively safe. It was before omni- uh, Omnicrom took, took hold. So <laughs> fuck. Yeah. How about you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had everybody up. I'm, I'm, I'm actually speaking to you from Tahoe and, uh, we had everybody up for Thanksgiving. It was re- a real nice, a real nice time up here. Actually, the weather's
0: insanely beautiful. We've been doing a whole bunch of outdoor stuff as well. So the weather in Northern California is incredible right now.
1: There's a part of me that sort of says this is the new future, and the you know, climate and all that is actually well and truly happening and these are just this is what it's like now this is what november's like now you know there's no snow and it's fucking excuse me um it's 70 (laughs) degrees you can say fuck as many
0: times as you want around me (laughs) Uh. (laughs) so rivian 2.0 so that they ipo'd the thing crashed and exposed itself for the pure joke that it is that's what happened uh, uh, right
1: not, not so much so <laughs> let's let's, let's uh, first of all you you couldn't get in on the offering price like couldn't it was get near very it. difficult to buy any shares at the offer. The demand was I believe in excess of 50 to one. So for every share they had they had demand for 50 which is a big number. they 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 when you and I first in, in our first uh, episode on Rivian, of course you remember that it was before the public offering and at the time uh, they had thrown out a market cap of 60 billion dollars you'll remember that and when yep. we looked at that we were like wow that's a giant number well they blew past that at the offering price of $78 um, they ended the first day in excess of $110 and then soon after that they went to a high of 170 and today we're at 120 bucks so well and truly over a hundred billion dollar valuation.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. One Oh two.
1: So that 60 number that we were kind of looking at last time is really small. And they're now the third largest automotive company behind Tesla and Toyota in the world, having shipped 150 uh, trucks in the latest quarter. So just an incredible IPO, Christopher and, and bigger. I, the bit, the one biggest, the biggest since Facebook. So, um, Pretty amazing,
0: yeah, incredible on all fronts, no question. And there's still so many people going, "How can the company Yeah, and yeah. it just, it just continue. And yes, it could blow up. It could be a bubble. It's a, but the difference is betting on potential as opposed to betting on performance. Prior performance. Yeah. And why is this so fucking hard for people to understand?
1: yeah i think i think it 's hard for investors to understand because they 've always you know that 's been just been the way they are. They look at multiples of revenue or multiples of trucks shipped or all of those other vital metrics within an organization. but the new investors I think are starting to look past that and and uh, I thought Rivian did a phenomenal job in there um, uh, s one christopher I, I as you will imagine, I sort of crawled over that and one of the things they did brilliantly, which is they outlined that the TAM for the category they were putting forward, uh, adventure vehicles, uh, was um, about $9 trillion. And I was talking to some you know, really savvy investors uh, you know, just leading up to the IPO. And I said, have you ever seen a trillion in a TAM? And none of them could remember seeing that. And so I looked up trillions and uh, the gross domestic product of Japan, the third largest um, country in the world, is $5 trillion. The United States and China are the two that have more than that. And so $9 trillion is a giant number. So they, I think they did a phenomenal job of sort of making the case that the total addressable market or TAM or the category potential, as we start to think about it, one component is $9 trillion. And of course, Tam, it always relates to market cap at some point. You know, it, it, it just how it goes. And the work you and I did back in the day found that you know seventy five percent of the market cap or seventy six percent goes to the category king. So, you know, if you start doing this all of this math, it starts get, getting interesting. And what else is interesting is Tesla is is already seventy percent or more of the market cap of the entire electronic vehicle category vehicle category worldwide. So. Christopher, this might be one of those industries that escapes gravity like the software and cloud industry where you do like a technology company valuation as opposed to a, you know, product, you know, physical product kind of company. So there's, there's early, early sort of indicators that that's the case just fascinating and then you sort of start peeling back from that and it's like 80% of the profitability the automotive market is in the United States at least is light trucks and SUV and so Rivian could actually be the category king of 80% of the profitability while Tesla's the queen of 20% that's an interesting thought and then on top of that it's not just about the vehicles Christopher you've got to add all of the other ecosystem Tam charging network and stations Think of think gas stations, Starbucks, the third place, all of that. That's what that's going to become, right? Dealerships. There are no dealerships. So all those NFL owners who own dealerships, those guys make some money somehow. So there's some part of that valuation has got to play here. All the financial services, insurance, leasing, and all that sort of stuff, and then accessories. And so it's a different category to the automotive industry. So if you go into this with the mindset of like, I'm going to value this as an automotive industry as it was you know for the last 125 years you're gonna miss big time and that's what's happening i think i think i think you nailed
0: it there al excellent work
1: (laughs) i was gonna say just answer one question that you had which is like and there are people who think the opposite there's a fantastic article in the in the guardian just recently and uh, this guy david trainer who's a founder of the investment research firm new constructs it's automotive industry, he, he's co- his comment was at a price of $70,000 per truck, the company valuation at its peak implied within the next 10 years would be selling for 3 million vehicles, about 12% of the automotive market. And that relates to a value of $13 billion. That right there is what we're talking about. David, who's an automotive guy, thinks it's a billion, a $13 billion company. Some of the smartest investors in the world think it's $100 billion. That's the problem.
0: Yep. And I never thought I'd say this about any company. But as you know, Apple's, uh, I think, 2.8 or somewhere around there pushing up on three. And I know this sounds like I've been smoking the wacky tobacco, which, you know, I do enjoy from time to time. But um, Apple being a $3 trillion company seems light to me today now
1: yeah no it is given
0: the category potential right yeah and And, i mean that's the other part of the Rivian stuff people understand is they're a software company yeah they're a hybrid digital analog company right because the technology uh the information technology forget the automotive technology for a sec around this thing that connects this thing and all that there's an ecosystem to be uh built with that shit
1: no, it's the data, data side of the equation. You know, it's like Google Maps and it's like Amazon. They just have a, a uncanny knowledge of what actually is happening in that whole experience chain from driving a car to stopping and charging for 20 minutes and jumping into the locals, whatever the store is that Rivian sets up. Um, and so the, they're, they're looking at a completely new category. It's this experience of transportation. Maybe it's even a mobility category. is a broader category again and they're somewhere in there, but it's absolutely not just an automotive automotive category, and that's where people get tripped up. They don't think about all of these additional ecosystem TAM elements that are now rolled into a vertically integrated company that's a technology-based company, to your point, with a stack that is incredibly powerful. So when Amazon, for example, one of their big partners in this whole thing owned 20% of the company, they, they pre-ordered 100,000 trucks, EV trucks, EDVs they're called, And, of course, how do they do that? Well, they do that on the Rivian ordering system, and it asks for things like, well, what color would you like? Where do you want the placement of the logos? What software do you want to be running on your car? Blah, blah, yada, yada. They're configuring the whole thing for the Amazon driver, like the whole thing, right? So that's just a different – it's not just selling the nuts and bolts the, that's important right but it's a whole different thing and the charging network and and and, and all of the service programs and you know alerts when cars aren't right and all that stuff total back end vert- vertically integrated system it's 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 really powerful well
0: and, uh, another compare with apple is you know when the new super ding dong m2568 F E R T chip just came out of course you know that they time the laptops and the and the and the iPhones to Time out when the shit is launching, right? Because six months before the new iPhone and six months before the new laptops come out, my technology starts developing features I don't like. Anyway, long story longer, that's exactly how I bought the new Super Ding Dong Apple, right? And today that seems common. Well, of course, you go on the internet and you pick the size you want and you pick this and that and how much memory and blah, 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 blah. And there's whatever, whatever your choices are, the colors and shit, and you put it in your credit card and Bob's your uncle. We think nothing of it. Right. But I mean, there was a point in time where the idea of ordering a computer on the internet was like a Star Trek kind of idea, right. and so we're now at that point with automobiles or vehicles, I should say.
1: You're absolutely right. And look, I, I, I had the whole Rivian experience, and and you know, I've pre- had one on pre-order for more than two years, and and luckily got invited to go drive one um, just before Thanksgiving, actually, just before the public offering. And it was such a different experience, Christopher, than going to a quote dealer situation, right? Like it was the antithesis of that. First of all, you, the, the, you know, the, the folks you're talking to actually have, you know, a degree of some kind. I was talking on the charging stuff. I was talking to the gal who was actually in charge of rolling out the entire network of charging stations across the United States, so I asked her a question like, uh, you're going to have any on the way to Truckee?" She's like, boom, straight back at me. Like, yes. And then this, and then this, and I said, well, where'd you come from? She's oh, I set the whole thing up for Tesla. It's like, Oh, okay. So you are like, you know, a goddess inside of that company and here you are at the actual, what they call the the event where you drive the car and you can answer a question. I was asking another guy I met, industrial designer, knew everything about textures and colors and, you know, all that stuff that you know Kerry would love. And, um, and then you get in the car and the guy's like, okay, uh, you're driving and I'm not going to do anything other than just be here because I have to be. And so follow the yellow line sort of thing. We're on Sonoma Raceway. So we're going up and down, up, da- you know, uphills, down, dales, all that sort of stuff. And then we get onto the raceway. It's like, okay, this is the zero to 60 test. Do you want to plant your foot? It's like, yeah, I want to plant my foot. Boom. Three seconds, I'm at 80 miles an hour. I'm plastered against the seat in an SUV. It's faster than a Lamborghini. It's like, Okay you know, the, the the whole experience is just so different.
0: And so hold on before you continue. Yeah. You're one of the very few people on the planet outside of the company itself. Who's driven one of these fucking things. Right. right. So slow down there. Handsome. <laughs> you open the door and then what happens?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. So, um, you you get in and it's you know the full spotify synchronized music thing and you just sort of so all of that sort of the ambient na- nature of this thing so you says well you know what music and of course we picked yeah you know, mark Knopfler i think it was or something like that um the actual seating and the setup of the car is gorgeous like to die for gorgeous and there's a big screen in front of you which is like you know you're sort of you're driving instruments and everything else
0: and is that a tesla size screen or how would it compare to what we know in a tesla so
1: there's two of them there's two there's one right in front of you we think of it as like the speedo and all that sort of stuff in the old cars and then there's one next to you that's giant like tesla where it's got the maps and music and every other freaking thing in the world sitting on that so it's right there
0: so the driver doesn't really have a dash like a normal dash a driver the the driver's vehicle is looking at a computer screen
1: yeah, two screens, one in front of you, one right next to you. You know, the dashboard's simple, beautifully elegant, unbelievably, you know, simplistic but elegant sort of thing. We had Lucas and Sarah in the car with me as well as a the driver. There was tons of room. It's It feels like almost a Tahoe-sized SUV. Obviously, we were driving the truck, but um, it, it feels like a, sort of a Tahoe size. So relatively big. Uh, the wheels are giant, like they're 22 or 23-inch wheels. My Mercedes has a 21, I think if I remember rightly. So, I mean, they're big wheels. The, 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 the colors are spectacular. Uh, the accessories are insane. Like the, the the rack on top, you can put a surfboard snow. You, everything goes. Like the whole thing's done to speak to me as an adventure person, right, and to you as an adventure person. Like you, you're drooling basically the whole time before you even get in the car. I mean, it. they're insane. They're, they're just beautiful. They're a beautiful piece of work.
0: So then you, you turn it on and no sound happens, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the turn it on is like an app, actually. It's not like you do anything. It's like an app, right? So, um, and then, yeah, there's no sound because there's no motor. And so when you, when you start moving forward, it's like a Tesla. If you've driven one of those, the only noise you hear is like the noise of the road, the tires on the road and everything.
0: And it's, it's now, of course, I don't own one, but I've driven them. I almost wonder if you, they need to have an option for people like me that says, make it sound like a fucking car, because this is freaking me out. This, make it, make it, make it, make it, like, you know, my, my, I have, I have my Range Rover and my Mustang. When you turn that shit on, you know that shit's on, right? Like, I, that makes me happy. Yeah. And then the other thing too is like pedestrians and stuff, they can't even hear these things coming. They're like yeah. silent missiles and shit
1: yeah 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 so
0: no noise you turn it on like you turn on an app and, and then then what happens
1: Then you put your foot on the accelerator and it starts moving forward then you go straight up a hill straight down the other side it takes over The cars in charge it's got self-driving like level three or whatever it is which means that you know people can walk out in front of it it's not going to run anybody over um and then it's got this acceleration mode that's nuts it's got this you've got six zero seven- to 60 in how long Two point five seconds. I went from zero to eighty in three seconds.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not to sound uh, unmanly or anything, but uh, it it sounds like that might even be a little scary. (laughs) Yeah, it was phenomenal.
1: It was phenomenal, and it's really interesting. You know, we're talking about sort of the category potential and the category design side of this, and what an incredible job these guys have done to have you have us as investors understand sort of the real potential here. You're also going to go past that and look at the product design. So so some of this experience we were just talking about, but just look at the ratings, Christopher, 35 ratings. This was at the time of the IPO, 34 of them had five stars and the best SUV ever. Hmm. Think about that for a minute. Version one, one bad rating because it couldn't handle a 400-pound jackhammer in the back. Fair enough. Not sure how many people have 400-pound jackhammers, but whatever. 50,000 pre orders. I wasn't planning
0: on getting one soon.
1: (laughs) 50,000 pre orders. And they had to shut it down because there was too much demand. They literally had to shut down the pre orders. And then, so the product design, don't take my word for it. Take, you know, the best, you know, sort of uh, reviewers of automotive equipment, 35 people, 34 of them five stars. In addition to that, you know, sort of look at the competitive set. Mercedes withdraws its e-, e SUV product line from the United States earlier this year. They, they're, not, they're not doing it. Audi and They're BMW. not doing it,
0: period? Nope. How can that even be true?
1: According to um, Fred Lambert from Electric Co., February 16th says that uh, they decided that they weren't going to do the SUV in the United States first. They'll do a luxury, su- a luxury you know, like town car kind of deal. So they backed out of it, presumably knowing that they were going to run straight into this kind of rivian headwind.
0: Now's a bad time to be on the wrong side of history on this shit.
1: No kidding. No kidding. And Audi and BMW, if you look at the Trons and whatever else is over there, they've always been the step ugly stepchild of those companies. They're never going to be the main stage. E-Hummer is dumb. You know, the Cybertruck is even dumber. So, I mean, the competitive is, is like... You just have to be able to go somewhere in an SUV and you're probably going to win this battle. And of course, you've got 34 out of 35 ratings. So super strong product design, Christopher, really strong.
0: Now, the other interesting thing about this from a business and category design perspective is most companies, as we talked about last time, view an IPO as a financing event. And they don't understand that it's a a, a, once in a lifetime, literally, you only go public once uh opportunity to catapult the company and the category into a whole new level and uh we've been doing this a long time mr ramalama mm-hmm. that was a 10 out of 10 in terms of turning an ipo into a category divine, defining event and locking and loading them as this niche if you want to call it nine trillion part of the (laughs) the market a niche but this adventure vehicle piece of it as distinct from what tesla is currently doing uh kind of lock and load them as the category leader bam in one move with the ipo
1: yeah no there's a few things that were going in addition to the you know the demand for this i I think everyone had the same feeling which is this is the new apple kind of showing up relative to microsoft to use sort of our our previous lives the sort of world this is Someone who just has a, a, a passion for building an incredible product and creating an incredible category—not um, just be, not just the car, but all of those things we talked about—the charging network, dealerships, financial services, etc. But they did something. A couple other things I thought stood out during the IPO as well, Christopher. One of them clearly was the Amazon and Ford strategic partnerships. Like that just underwrote this, and 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 make make no surprise here. Amazon owns 20% of this company. And so that's now valued at about you know, $25, 30000000000 something like that. And make no mistake, this is Amazon's climate change play and automotive play. FedEx, UPS, USPS, they're all out of luck. They can't get one of these things. It's exclusively mapped to Amazon. So you, you, you've got the company that is likely to be the distribution king if they aren't already worldwide as a 20% owner of the company. Like, come on. That's, that's a remarkable thing. The Ford story is a little more spotty. They obviously helped a lot with the, the, the logistics of building one of these things, and they're incredibly complex, no question, although they're a lot less complex than sort of the gasoline-based cars. So Amazon-Ford Strategic Partnerships, big hit on the IPO. Everyone was like, holy smokes, what's this about? I thought they did a brilliant job of hijacking the United Nations Climate Change Conference, COP26. They went public basically the same week as that whole thing. So the awareness of climate and his point of view, which is we're, we're facing an existential threat. We have to change in the fundamental industries from petroleum-based to like, like it was just perfect timing. And then just as a little kicker, Hertz announces that they'll purchase 100,000 Teslas in the same week. I mean, pretty nice timing from an IPO's point of view.
0: And this is, again, something that – The vast majority of companies don't think about which is we want to turn our IPO into a lightning strike for the category and, of course, for our company. Well, we know when we're going to plan a lightning strike, we start to think very strategically about timing. Are we creating our own event? Are we hijacking an event? Headwinds, tailwinds, uh, things that we could do to drive up interest, drive up provocation hijacking hijacking trend jacking other mega things right so you just look at this and go like it's so fucking legendary when a company gets it all right and they even do some shit that we've never even thought of right it's like compared to so many other companies that whether they just the way they deal with their business is like they don't even give a shit right? right these guys every fucking detail
1: yeah yeah. And then the topper on top of that is RJ Shrens is – he's an insanely great spokesperson. He's the opposite of Elon Musk. I mean, he is just a down to earth, honest, um, thoughtful, you know, great speaker. He's not twitchy in front of an audience, doesn't do stupid shit. Like, he's just a great spokesperson. And then the, 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 the production environment or the production uh, line is in normal Illinois. That's the town, normal Illinois. I mean, it, you can't make this shit up. It's like the greatest story of all time.
0: <laughs> now, what do you think are the big takeaways, the big learnings from a category design point of view that you would hope as a godfather of category design, category designers around the world would would learn from this?
1: Yeah. Great, great question. Um, I, I think the first one is just on the scope of the problem. I mean, what we, and you and I have been doing this for many years, but what we always talk to the entrepreneur, the leader, uh, leadership team about is what's the actual scope of the problem we're solving because that will then set the category potential in TAM, right? So if you say, hey, I can, I can you know, sort of do a teeny little bit of that, that that's a small category, and if you can do something much bigger, that's a big category. I think what he did a brilliant job of, and if you read his point of view, we read it last time on, on session number one here – it's We're facing an existential crisis, and that we have to fundamentally change, you know, an industry. That's a big scope, right? That's a really, really big scope, and gives you a lot of flexibility on on how 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 you create a blueprint, i.e., the, all the things we were talking about, what they're actually rolling out. So that's number one. Is is that I think he took the giant, the, the biggest scope you could possibly get, you know, climate change, you know, and just Pounded it and said, okay, we're gonna get rid of all of that old industry. Like that's a huge one. So that was that was I was really impressed with him. His his point of view is very powerful. It doesn't even mention electronic vehicles. I mean, it's remarkable how good he is. The second thing I thought he did on the category design was he then translated it to TAM, something that investors actually do understand, right? At nine trillion TAM is better than nine billion TAM. A thousand times better, as it turns out, right? So he did all of that work. Um then in his s1 i thought he did a phenomenal job of making the case for them being the technology backbone essentially to you know mobility whether it's personal mobility or enterprise mobility i mean you just read that as like holy smokes this guy's essentially describing what is the equivalent of aws but to the to the mobility world he he did a phenomenal job of that so his blueprint was spectacular the ecosystem side of his his story is incredibly strong too you know Amazon, Ford relationship, strategic relationships, the the whole rollout of uh, the the network of stations and, and having us all imagine that at every one of those places, there might be a Starbucks or a whatever store that you go into for dinner or lunch or breakfast. And then all of a sudden you start realizing, holy smokes, there's a whole ecosystem sort of forming outside of this thing and many more. But th- I, I just think they did a brilliant job of all of those things. They all showed up in the S1, if you care to read the S1. I mean, it's that's a brilliantly architected document.
0: And I actually want to talk, I have, and I want to talk to you specifically about it because I think, I think there's a giant learning in there, but keep going. You're on a roll.
1: No, no, that was it. That that was it. I mean, they're, they're the, they're the top top line things. And in addition to that, you know, every category designer hopes they have, a product design and a company designed to connect the magic triangle, as we call it, when those three things come together, the product, the category and the company, oh my gosh, you know, like, and they've got, you know, five stars on all of those corners. And that's going to be really tough to beat. I think.
0: When you get all three of those right at the right time, bam. So on the S1, you know, there's this thing that we've thought about for a very, very long time, which is writing the manifesto for the category. Uh, sort of an HBR style article, lay out the argument. If you're smart, have some facts and data and research to back it up. You don't want to stand on just being an arm-waving idiot uh, and so forth. And, And as I've thought about that, and I think we talked about this last time, I think it's valuable even for earlier stage companies to go now a step beyond the manifesto and actually write your fucking S1. You know, maybe you just got a series B, maybe even after series A, I don't know. But here's what I do know. And, and maybe I'm biased because in the last handful of years, thanks, you know, great part to you kicking my ass and getting us to write a book together. But, you know, I've become a writer. Uh, you know, I've, I, I write almost daily. And as a dyslexic guy, that's a huge commitment. But what I've noticed is by doing that, my level of clarity of thinking is just exponentially different than it was 5 years ago because i forced myself and now i do it you know it's it's a pleasure to do actually to write pretty much almost daily and so a, a long story longer you read their s1 and and they get it's all in there it's all based on a pov they they na- frame name and claim the problem they frame name and claim the category adventure vehicle as distinct from generic or broad-based EEVs to your point, the blueprints in there and, and, and the ecosystems in there and how it looks and it's depicted. And so what it made me think about is, you know, if you can't articulate your business with this level of clarity and level of detail, what are you fucking doing? Reaction doctor.
1: Yeah, no, You know what? I think you're right, Christopher. Um, When you think about what an S1 is, right? It's a document that explains to potential investors why why this is a really powerful business ultimately, right? And it stood the test of time, man. I don't know how long the stock market's been around or how long S1s have been a requirement for going public, but my guess is a hundred (laughs) years, maybe, maybe more. So you're right if you can if you can take and and look it, you need to take some of those artifacts of category design and bring them together so the point of view has to be a big part of the sort of the the, the first five sentences 10 sentences of an s1 has to be your point of view and so that's absolutely right the the problem statement and and, and what problem you're solving has to be so um, understandable and emotional you need to sort of connect to this and in his case the existential threat to our kids not having a climate that they can live in is pretty understandable and pretty emotional right and then and then laying out the cases like and and you know here is the here are the user segments or here are the segments that we're going to address consumer in his case and the 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 um you know the amazon delivery kind of uh, uh, companies in that case laying out a blueprint and here's how we're going to solve the problem this is what it looks like and if you're going to be the category king then you need to have all of these things filled out, you know, because that's what the category king's blueprint is going to look like. Even if you don't have them all, having putting them on paper and expressing them, talking about the ecosystem, um, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that would that's actually a brilliant idea. We should create a mini SU one S one template or something like that to give to people. To entrepreneurs to say okay i think it's probably series c is where the crossover is where that should start playing up before that it's more the manifesto i think is more important you you, you really at that point can't really point to many of the other than maybe early product market fit so i think yeah, series and above i love your idea of creating a a, a, a sort of a, a, a s1 redux document that you have to fill out and create uh, of course, POV is going to be there. The blueprints going to be there. The problem statement's going to be there. The ecosystem's going to be all of the artifacts of category design have to show up, and so it'll force you to actually get it on paper and probably make a pretty good investor deck as well.
0: Yes, amen. And the other thing, of course, um, the act of doing it not only gets the founder, CEO, or founding team through a forcing fun- function on super clarity and, and doing the category design work, uh, really thinking about the languaging. How do we want to express this? How do we want to frame the problem? How do we want to describe our products and technologies and services, et like all of that sort of uh, rigor is in there. And so um, when when you do that, the the founding group needs to come together. But if you're wise, of course, you do it with your executive team. Yeah. Well, and let's say you got 12 or maybe even 25 if you want to have a broader group. Um, you got to manage it effectively because you don't want to get stupid about stuff. But when you get a group of senior leaders through an exercise like this and they agree, it becomes the Bible. And if you're smart, every employee reads it and every new employee reads it. And when you do that, that's why, you know, language matters, That's why we call it being on the same page because we wrote some shit on a page and we looked at it and said, yes, that's what we're doing. But if you don't write it on the page, how can you get on the same page? (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah.
1: There's, there's so much, there's so much truth in what you're saying because you know, Play Play Bigger is like, the the company has been around now 11 years, and this is not a commercial for Play Bigger, but just a little bit of experience playing out here. I think we've done 55 category designs now, Christopher. Uh, You were part of many of them in the early days and, 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 and still are. And we ended up sort of creating three different methods as we call it for category design. We gave them names. One of the one of the 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 simplest or earliest stage method is called therapy. And that is where you basically come in and 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 answer a few questions and then we do sessions with you. Then there's this thing called activate, which is whether somebody inside the company is the category designer and we're sort of their counsel. And then there's what we call a which is the the full product that you and I have been delivering for many years, which is we're part of your exec team. So there's three different methods and they're aimed at different stages. Therapy is generally sort of series A and before, activate series B and C, and immerse series uh, C and onwards. And um, what we find is that Forcing yourself to answer some basic questions, and we laid them out pretty well in the book, I think, which is you need to be able to sort of understand what the founding insight, like, why are you even thinking about doing this? What's keeping you up at night? What's that problem that's burning a hole in your pants kind of thing? And then really refining the problem. So that's number one. Then refining the problem statements, a really important thing. Refining the solution. What is it that solves that problem? and then defining a blueprint for that is really important. Creating a powerful point of view, as you pointed out, is really important as well. And then mobilizing your company and doing a lightning strike, those fundamental phases of category design, irrespective of which method you choose, whether it's the light, medium, or heavy kind of method, you still have to go through that stuff. And when you do that stuff, and like I said, we've done it at least 55 times here, we find that it either galvanizes everyone to the right place or doesn't <laughs> and when it doesn't you know that company's never going to go it's not going to happen because they're so focused on a feature of a product or a particular go to market or something like that they can't get the rest right but when it does all come together you know and we've found a lot of you know early stage not early stage a lot of investors now following us around and making investments in those companies that we do category design, because they know the ones that we sort of thumbs up on, The process went really well. They're like, okay, that's possibility for a category king or category queen. And and so your point's right though, is, is that th- what category design does for a company and the executive team is either brings you together, aligns you around an incredibly powerful, opportunity expressed through the point of view, uh, or it doesn't. <laughs> and if it doesn't, then you have kind of answered your own question from an investor's point of view, which is what the S1 document actually is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Thank you for that. The other powerful thing about writing, whether it's a manifesto when you're earlier or an S1, as you, as you get a little more mature along the kind of journey, when you go to raise money to your point on an investor deck, well, one of the things most entrepreneurs never think about is, if a VC in general, you know, some some people now are just term sheet factories and they just <laughs> they just venue money, money when they see it. But uh, in general, a professional VC is going to take some time, do due diligence. And when the time comes, she's going to create this thing. She's going to write it called an investment thesis. And she's going to show up at the Monday morning partner meeting. And she's going to have given that to people in advance. And then she'll have a slide deck that's a summary of that. And they have a conversation about, do we believe her her thesis? It's not, do we like this company or not? But in order to invest this serious amount of money, we need to believe a bunch of shit, right? And the best way to believe it is to argue against it and see and and be thoughtful and rigorous and yada, yada. Anyway, the bottom line is VCs create these investment thesis documents. Well, guess what? When you write your S1 internally, Years before you ever think about going public, you're doing it as a forcing function to get on the same page, right? Guess what? You can fucking hand that to your (laughs) prospective investor and go, oh, by the way, um, here's our internal uh, S1. And feel free to use any amount of this you'd like for your investment thesis.
1: Yeah, I love it. I really think there's something there.
0: And it goes beyond the point of view,
1: which I really like as well. I think the point of view is such a great, You know, mechanism for the emotional attachment to the problem and, you know, the characters in the show and and the solution, et cetera. Um, But the rigor of the S1, I think, goes beyond that to your point. It goes to product design and company design as well. So uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I think we might try that out one time. We should do it together. We should try one.
0: (laughs) I'm game if you are. Now, let's just play a little here, uh, because it'll be fun, uh, about how this broad mega category of EVs could potentially play out right? So you've got obviously Rivian and Tesla. We all understand that. I think relatively well now. Um, there's a couple more startups coming, right? Um, that look promising potentially. There's the incumbents, of course. And, and look, I don't know anything. So I'm not saying anything that, I, you know, that there's any way, shape or form insider information, but I read the same things that you read. And most of us in the business and tech world read. And it seems if the rumors are right, that Apple is pretty far down the line here in building a car. And it seems like they want to create a car that can be hundred percent autonomous. If you believe some of the rumors and blogs and stuff, and I'm not an expert Apple watcher, but it seems like they're coming. So you have this scenario where you've got Rivian Tesla and maybe a few others, the existing folks and potentially Apple coming. And so sort of, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but it's five years from now. How does this giant mega EV category potentially look?
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think, well, first of all, it's a, it's a wonderful question. And it's probably the, you know, the answer to that is, you know, uh, in, in the trillions in terms of value created. So, you know, we're dealing with something that's incredibly powerful. Um, I think the category EV is probably wrong. It's more about mobility more broadly um so that's where i'd start i'd sort of, and i think that's sort of hinted to in the rivian uh prospectus they don't really see ev anywhere actually uh they talk about adventure vehicles as one example and they talk about delivery vehicles um i think they're heading towards more the mobility space so i would add mobility into that and then you think about not just the players you talked about but you imagine well if hertz just ordered one hundred thousand teslas what doesn't that mean something? Isn't that signaling something? Probably, you know, and so on. So I, I think at the end of the day, there's going to be um, a set of players who, in the mobility space, this is at the highest level, right? There's a set of players who are going to be in the as-a-service kind of space, Uber, Lyft, maybe Hearst, maybe, I don't know, Avis, those folks, right? So there's going to be that bunch who essentially are, Think of it as renting out the car in the old day, but it's more the service of getting from A to B, right? So there's going to be that group and that's going to be super powerful. There's going to be a group, I think, of people who are creating the product, the ecosystem and the charging network and all of the other services. So the vertically integrated stacks, that'll be Tesla, that'll be Rivian. Lucid's another good example. They've, they've gone to about 40 billion over the last few weeks here, a uh, good company. Doing electric vehicles, I actually went public with a SPAC, which is one of the few SPACs that actually worked. Um, and 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 then to your point, all of the current automotive vehicle players who have some part of that solution—not the whole part, by any stretch—Ford, you know, um, General Motors in the United States, maybe Chrysler gets off the mat for that. Um, then you're going to see Mercedes, BMW, Audi, Chinese firms. Um, so I think you're going to see those point players. I do believe that those two worlds, the manufacturers and the, if you like, the the mobility world, they they end up colliding here in the next five years. And it's going to be really tough to distinguish whether you're getting an Uber or a Rivian or a Tesla. They're probably going to have or a or a Hertz. They're all probably going to have the same kind of feel. But it's all going to come down to this idea of the experience, the experience of getting from A to B. Either on a one-time basis or on a on a regular basis, and that the that the the problem you solve instead of being you know um, thought of as being from A to B, you know, as a as a sort of a single thing, it's much more about the lifestyle that you lead and having all of the mobility support. So if you think about an adventure vehicle for a minute and just th- think about the Rivian sort of test drive, half of the show was like, oh, your bike rack fits here, and then the thing for your surfboard fits up here. And by the way, we have a stove that pulls out from the middle and that's where you can actually do all your cooking. And, oh, the tent, yeah, well, it comes out of the top, right? You see what I'm saying? It's like, okay, so you attach to that whole life cycle and you're solving a much bigger problem just getting from from home to the campground, you're solving the whole thing, right? And that'll be true, I'm, I think, for most, you know, sort of, quote, experiences that we have in life. And, and that's what's so powerful, I think, about the idea of Rivian is – it's solving that whole problem. And that is, of course, much bigger than an automotive problem. So that's my thought on the, sort of the mobi- mobility industry more generally. And that might be a 10 or a 15-year view, honestly, Christopher. I, you know, uh, I might be stretching it for five years to do that. But my sense is that's where it's going. These worlds are colliding, and there's a massive – I mean, if Rivian says it's $9 trillion just for the vehicles, I don't know what the actual rest is, but I bet it's a factor of that.
0: Well, it's very interesting when you call it mobility. Right That is a, you know, as we are apt to say, a demarcation point in language creates a demarcation point in thinking, which creates a demarcation point in action. And legendary POVs open people up to a demarcation point in thinking and action. So if you say, if you think cars are automobiles or even vehicles, Then when you have a hammer, everything's a nail, right? You, when you change what the hammer is all of a sudden, so that, that might seem trivial to some. However, if they continue to execute the way they are and they essentially redesign what mobility means um, that in of itself could explode. Uh, Now a couple specifics I want to bounce off you. (laughs) So on the Hertz thing, Mm. Wouldn't it be interesting if, so let's say, let's say Hertz lost round one and maybe even round two, right? They, they missed, they missed Uber and all that shit, right? They didn't get that there was a new paradigm emerging and the one that would have seemed more obvious probably would have been like a zip car or something along those lines and they didn't get that either. So it's like Uber and Lyft slid by a, which okay, maybe, but, but, but however now they go, okay, not again. It could be if that they might be experimenting with a real twist on a rental model. They could have some kind of a timeshare business model. they could have a more of a SaaS business model going. So you pay X amount a month to get Y amount of miles or what, however they would do it. So that one could be one way they could go. And then the other thing that made me think that I wanted to kind of just bounce around with you is, um, The the scooter companies have this model where if you get on a bird in Santa Monica and you drive it from point A to point B, you fucking leave it on the front lawn and go into the place you're going and that's the end of it. And uh, either someone else picks it up or they have third-party contractors that they pay per bird to bring them home. So is it possible that we might have a bird scooter-like business model for Hertz with all these Teslas,
1: man, I think so, and I think it fits within that you know narrative we just had about you know what does mobility really mean and what are the experiences that we need mobility for. You know, obviously going to work is one. You know, going doing adventure is another. You know, presumably shopping. You know, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I think it just breaks down into a different set of things. And to your point, Christopher, I remember going to Europe actually in in uh, Switzerland. And those, there were bikes. Were, these were before the electric bikes even came out. There were bikes where you could just go from restaurant to restaurant and just leave them there. They were just right there. I was like, what the heck? If you did that in Santa Cruz, they'd be all gone. You know, But like not in Switzerland. And I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, you think about sort of like, I don't know Hertz very well, but I'm imagining, I don't know how many cars they buy a year, but it's probably hundreds of thousands. So they'd be pretty good at that, I would think getting a pretty good price. I don't know how they do the servicing and everything else, but I'm guessing they're probably pretty good at that too. And so if what's a pain in the ass for me as a car owner, or you know, an automotive owner, it's servicing and, you know, all that provisioning and all that sort of stuff, well if they took all of that away, that's interesting. You know, and so on and so forth, and so you can you can see how this starts to play out along along these sort of experience verticals for want of a better term. And I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Hertz do something like that. And the fact that they've bought a hundred thousand or they've ordered a hundred thousand Teslas tells you something. Um, and it could be just as simple as like you know, most of the time I want an EV. But um, if I'm going to have to drive up the snow in winter and it's four hundred miles, or I want to tow a, tr- a boat to the fishing, maybe I swap it out for that day and take a gas-based you know F one fifty or something, right? So it could be.
0: And if Hertz is smart, they're going to bring that shit to you because the fucking worst part of car rentals is going to the rental place. It smells in there. It takes forever. The line's too fucking long. Then you got to drag your shit across the parking lot. Like all of that is terrible. Right. And so think of where we're at, particularly with native digitals, their aversion to buying anything. The, the GDP of uh, virtually every major country is shifting rapidly from products to services and has been over many decades now, but it's been accelerating because we're seeing the services of uh, service evasion, servicization, I don't know, however the fuck everything's getting servicized. And so it sort of is interesting to think, well, if they got rid of all the hee haw and the car comes to you and you could just fucking leave the car somewhere. Like you do with the bird, they could change a lot. Okay. So that's one idea. Here's the other idea I have for you. Last time I checked, the people running Amazon were not fucking stupid. As a matter of fact, that might be the most well-run company ever. If it's not, I want to know what is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And these people think, holy shit, do they think. So what's the long-term play here? Is, does Amazon become the front end for how you buy and service uh, your Rivian? They have all this logistics stuff they're now selling, like the, the AWS of logistics is an emerging big area for them. And so where where does this connection with Rivian and Amazon land, yeah. do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I love it. And, th- and this is one of the things I get most excited about with with Rivian itself is, okay, if, Christopher, if you had to choose one company in the world, to be your major strategic partner for getting from A to B, who would it be?
0: Yeah, Amazon. It, matter of fact, it's this buddy of mine said this. You know, it's Amazon. This buddy of mine said this to me uh, a little a while ago. He said, "If, um, if the state government came out and said uh, we've just done a deal with Amazon and they're going to take over the DMV, what would most people think?" Most people think that's a fucking awesome idea right
1: yeah or the other one, which is CVS that Amazon's getting into pharmacy is like that might be the best <sighs> news I've heard ever. Please Jesus it's yeah, about no, time right, right? like you right, pick
0: it right. pick any sort of logistical grindy thing that is generally irritating for us as consumers like, Who's going to touch them on that stuff? Right, right. And so right. what's so, the play here with Rivian?
1: Exactly. So, so that's what gets me most excited, right? So you are now configuring, servicing, and delivering to the most powerful company, logistics company in the world, these vehicles, right? So the, if you like the delivery experience, that vertical we were talking about, there's an there's a adventure experience, there's a delivery experience, there's these other experiences that we have in our lives. I think it's so powerful um, that that Amazon's there to do it. I don't think Amazon buys Rivian in the same way as I'm not convinced Apple becomes an automotive manufacturer. Okay, but I might consider Apple partnering with Lucid to deliver sort of the high-end super designer experience. Like, I could see that. Um, So I think people are just, this ecosystem's kind of starting to line up around these these particular verticals and having Amazon as the number one investor, man, <laughs> I'd be pretty stoked about that for sure.
0: Now on the, you know, as we go back to expanding the category to mobility, the other interesting thing here of course is um, mobile phones and their integration with our cars. And now it's to the point where, uh, where does the phone begin and the car end and vice versa is, is, is not an easy question, right? And so um, where do you think Apple and Google are around sort of trying to get iOS and Android as sort of, uh, for lack of better uh, analogy, the MS-DOS of um, you know, the automotive industry and the mobility category broadly,
1: Yeah, that's another great question too, Christopher. So on the what I do know is, you know, sort of three players in that space, there's the there's the Apple iOS, there's Android from Google, then there's Microsoft's equivalent. um, And that they are all courting all of the automotive players. And I think the rub is 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 that as a as a straight up technology platform take Android, just as the case in point, If it was just that, it would be easy decision to make for the, if you like the vehicle manufacturers, because they got, like I got an operating system and I write an set of applications on top of that. Ta da! I deliver an incredible experience. But of course, Google is to your point. Like, well, hang on, we got this thing called Google Maps, and man, it's a lot better than your maps. And they're probably right. So we're going to add that in as a service. But we'd like three bucks a car or three hundred dollars a car or. Well, of course, Google bought
0: Ways, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They bought that, and so and then you have you know sort of all of the music services. I bet Amazon, excuse me, uh, Apple and Microsoft are like, oh, by the way, we've got all the music services in it. Don't use Spotify. Use our stuff, and so on and so forth. And so I think it's a th- this is I think the battleground for what we're talking about on mobility, which is is that when you step into your vehicle, whatever that might be, whether it's you bought it, you rented it, you're using it for the day, you just picked it up, or however that all defines having it fully integrated with your life and essentially the decisions you've made for that, I think that's the holy grail. And I saw a little bit of that with Rivian where they, I, I wasn't able to sort of play with it for that long, but my my phone worked just fine. Um, and I use an iPhone, just like, you know, eighty 85% of the people in the world. Um... And now the question will be like, does it automatically inherit all of your Spotify sort of preferences? And does it automatically inherit the fact that I'd rather use Google Maps than, than Apple Maps? And like, I don't know any of that stuff, but that's the battleground. The battle for the OS is over. That's, that's a commodity business now, just like it was Microsoft 20 years ago. They went from, you know, sort of Windows, and then they said, well, actually, we got this thing called Office, and it happens to be these three vertical applications. That's where all their money went, and now, of course, they've gone to the cloud with Azure and everything else, right? So, the operating system business is not a business.
0: So, the the operating system at that level, this sort of sewage and plumbing of car uh, software, is it, it, is, it is a lot of it open source now, or it's or is it just commodity? Or a- yeah, Andro- Android obviously is the closest to open, open source, source
1: of all of them. Right. Uh, iOS is very proprietary, and Microsoft's pretty proprietary too. So, but the point is, is that they're not ascribed much value. And the reason I know right. this is because, as you know, Christopher, I was the senior vice president of mobility for Adobe
0: for many years. And at the time- now, Why should we listen to you about this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's well, part of why yeah. I, I asked you, handsome- <laughs> I yes, figured you'd you. be paying attention.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I was. And at, at the time, of course, we were trying to encourage people to embrace Flash, which was a technology that was around on the web, the rich, rich, rich media um, technology back in the tw- 2000s, to incorporate them on their handsets at the time, uh, mobile phones. This was before the iPhone itself. And, so, but, and I knew that. And that business model went to price per unit equals zero quickly. Like I remember I remember being in a negotiation with Samsung for a whole bunch of their phones. And, you know, we might be getting one or $2 per unit from, say, a PlayStation or something like that. When you're talking to Samsung, it's like, I'll give you a cent. How about that? And that quickly goes from that to lower. So I just don't think that business is a business. But how much of, if you like, the mobility um, experience or services that ex- is carved out for Apple, carved out for uh, Microsoft carved out for Google. That's, I think, going to be the question.
0: I mean, you could imagine a day, for example, where there's a set of configuration options for your car, and you can download a set of apps from the Apple App Store or the the uh, Android App Store, and and sort of configure your car on your phone. Right, your 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 in car experience. Yeah. right. Yeah. And, and Spotify could be part of that or whatever could be part of that. Or you could imagine, um, you know, being able to watch Amazon movies. And so, you know, like a lot of SUVs and shit have those, those TV, the screens behind them. Well, nobody's going to want to watch and nobody has a DVD player anymore. I mean, they're going to want to watch internet based shit. Right. And so right. all of these, my, my point is you can imagine a scenario where there are a whole bunch of apps, that you can subscribe to that enhance in some way your in-car experience. And I got to believe the major players here want their platforms and ecosystems to be the ones that are the preferred ones as what is a phone and what is a car and what are the apps supporting those things or, or available in those environments blurs completely.
1: Yeah, sure does, um, and of course that speaks. And you think about well, what skills would you need to have, as if you like a vehicle uh, manufacturer to do that? And it would the first answer is is a technology backbone that was born post 2010 at least, right? So you look at Ford and General Motors. I got a Mercedes. I love driving the thing. I can't play music half the time on my freaking, you know, $120,000 Mercedes because the integration with the iPhone sucks so badly, right? That was they were all born in the sort of the Symbian days back in the early 2000s, right? So like you think about it, that only makes me more bullish about someone like Rivian. They're born on AWS, mate. It's not even an operating system. Think about that for a minute. That's where they're born, on yeah. AWS. They they don't know anything before that. It doesn't yeah, mean who would, have,
0: to who would have thought when AWS launched that it was going to be the platform for the next generation of uh, mobility? <laughs> Incredible. All right, Alan, anything else you want to touch on, Handsome? Well, yeah, there's, you know, I'm in town. There's actually no snow up here, Christopher. So
1: I don't know if you're thinking of skiing this year. Uh, no, but it's not going to happen for the moment. I don't think what it's going to happen.
0: What does the farmer's almanac say? Are we going to get yeah. snow or do we yeah. no snow this year?
1: I don't know. I, I'm really worried about it. We had, of course, we had this big dump in October where we got a whole bunch of snow on the Sierras, which was really exciting. And then it just stopped, and it's warm. And it's beautiful. I've been paddleboarding and bike riding just recently. So, and we got a big thing happening for Christmas. Um, my son and his new wife—we're meeting the parents COVID-style because we haven't met them yet in person. And they're married. Because of
0: course, she's from Brazil. You
1: can't. And and can't go there. They can't come they're here. They're in New York. They're Brazilian, but yeah, in New York, they're coming for Christmas.
0: Oh, they are So coming. we're
1: hoping there's going to be snow for Christmas, Christopher. Otherwise, we're going to have a pretty fun t- funny time. So.
0: You might be at the beach. They might think they're in Rio, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> exactly Rio <right>. moved north. <laughs> so, yeah. so we get no, to meet the parents. Yes. Are, you, are we going to turn it into a movie with uh, Bob De Niro?
1: We might. We might do a podcast on meeting the parents. That would be really fun. By the way, and, and the parents actually don't – well, actually, the dad doesn't speak that good a – english in fact maybe none so i'm trying to learn some brazilian i'm not very good at it in fact i'm terrible lukey's half good um so that that here's what i've learned about
0: portuguese you can just go (laughs) it it sounds like you said something there's a lot of going on we are gonna lose every single all all 10 of our listeners in uh, in portugal and Brazil. (laughs)
1: And so you and I need to get out in the bike ride pretty soon. What's going on?
0: When do you get back down?
1: Yeah, I get back down on Thursday. So I say we go for a ride on Saturday. It's going to be beautiful weather.
0: All right. I've I, uh, since the last time I saw you, I've had a, a, an ongoing set of back issues. Uh-oh. So I'm 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 hoping that I'll be able to ride by then. I'm the 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 jackhammering on the bike right now is not a great idea for me. So I was uh, Joey and I were thinking about going out for a ride tomorrow morning, but I. Uh, I'm, I'm in a good place. I'm going up into the right, and uh, I don't want to do what I always do, which is fuck it up by <laughs> jumping back on too quickly. So, to be determined. Right. But um, if not, then soon I'm on. I'm on the right path. I just uh, suffering from a little AGE. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, love always love hanging out with you and riding is one of the great times we can chat. I find that half of our greatest ideas ever came either on a chairlift or on a bike. So let's keep doing it together. It seems We're to be a source of
0: yeah. All right, brother. It's great to see you. Give my love to everybody. And hopefully, we'll see you soon and have that bike ride very soon. Sounds great. See you then. Well, there he is Al Ramadan himself, my brother from another mother. He is, of course, co author of Play Bigger How Pirates, Dreamers, and Innovators Create and Dominate Markets. And the co-founder of a company we started together years ago called Play Bigger Advisors. All right. We would like to thank Al one more time. Thank you, brother. Check him out at playbigger.com. That's playbigger.com. Our friends at Atranet, A-T-R-E dot have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check them out. And if you're thinking about relaunching, they do have a rapid relaunch program. Our friends at Hallow App are the first real relationship app. If you're tired of no privacy, of echo chambers, of you being the product, why not take a whole new approach, a real relationship network with Hallow App? Check out halloap com or search for Hallow App in your app store of choice. Uh, now, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes, and this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Odcast Network, um, and all rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this oncast has properties known to the state of California to cause different thinking. And before you act on any of today's information, please consult your lawyer, doctor, shaman, mystic, yoga instructor, baker, bartender. And, of course, Category Designer. Also, uh, just got a text from your spouse, and uh, they said it was okay. You can go ahead and subscribe to Category Pirates. (laughs) I also need to warn you that the creators of this oddcast were absolutely uh, consuming libations. If it's not uh, legendary marketing, why are you doing it? We are produced and edited by the GOAT himself, Jason DeFilippo. And uh, check out his new newsletter. Go to substat.com and type in... The pivoteer. You see, Jason has changed careers uh, many times over, and now is a point in time where uh, hundreds of thousands and millions of people are actually looking at changing jobs or even careers. Jason is taking his hard-fought lessons learned in the uh, uh, the theater of life and putting them in a legendary newsletter. Go to Substack.com and search for the Pivoteer. Sarah Knox and Jamie J do legendary technical execution around here and they build Lockhead.com. And show notes are by the handsome and talented GM Simon. And Candy Dandy keeps all the trains running on time. All right, that's it for now. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. We really do appreciate it. And the thought I'll leave you with today comes from Pablo Picasso, who said, everything you can imagine is real.